This morning, friends, we're beginning a new journey in studying the Bible. For most of the year, we follow the narrative lectionary, which is a four-year-long plan for which verses we read on Sundays, and thousands of churches use this plan. The goal of the narrative lectionary is to tell the big story of God all the way through each year using different little stories from the Bible. The Sunday after Labor Day, we start in Genesis, and we stay in the Old Testament all the way through the season of Advent leading up to Christmas. From Christmas to Easter, we focus on just one gospel. This year, it's going to be the gospel of Matthew. And then we go our own way for a few months in the summer, usually with a special focus, like stories of women, or the UCC Statement of Faith, or a deep study of one of the New Testament letters. I gotta tell you, I love the Old Testament. I know a lot of you don't feel that way. But I love to read it, and I love to teach it. And following the story through, it really helps the Old Testament make a lot more sense to people than it does otherwise. And this fall, we are going to focus particularly on the ways that the idea of covenant shows up in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament has several different covenants that God makes with humanity. And then in the New Testament, we see a new covenant in the person of Jesus Christ, a new way of humans and God in relationship. So this fall, covenant in the Old Testament, and I'm really excited for us to explore this together. But before we do, we need to think for a few minutes about what the Bible is and acknowledge that deeply faithful Christians disagree about this. And that's okay. My answer is that the Bible is an authentic story of one group of people's experience with God. It is a faithful story of their ever-unfolding understanding of who God is. Because that happens as we grow, doesn't it? We understand God differently as we grow as individuals, and as a community. And as we hear these Old Testament stories, we often ask, are they true? To which I would say, what does it mean for a story to be true? Now, some people in this room believe that Bible stories could have been recorded on video exactly the way they're described. And other people in this room believe that Bible stories contain insight about humanity and God and wisdom that we recognize as true. Those are both ways of talking about what it means for something to be true, right? We have both folks in the room. So as we tell these stories, I am not going to spend a lot of time on whether or not they were factually true, because at Zion we have room for a lot of opinions about that. And we want those opinions to be informed opinions. So this fall, I encourage you, we're going to try something new. Would you bring your Bible with you to church each week? And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew right in front of you. You can take it home. And I encourage you to make notes in your Bible because this is a living text. It's not the only way that God speaks to us, but it's a big way. And it's the one we focus on when we're together in community. And the more we read it, the more it comes alive in us. You can read the Bible and make sense of it on your own. I hope that you do that. This text has started revolutions and stopped wars and changed the lives of ordinary people for thousands of years. You can understand it. 
And also, we benefit as a community from reading and studying it together as a group with some extra insight from someone who's done extra study. That's why churches call someone into the role of pastor and teacher. When we study together, I will often give you a few different perspectives and tell you what I think because you've called me to be your pastor and teacher, but you always have to decide for yourself. If what I say doesn't sit right with you, you should wrestle with it. You should think about it and pray about it and read the story yourself and see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. Because I am called to teach you, but ultimately we are each free and responsible to decide what we believe and how that moves us to live. Okay? All right, let's go. This year, the story that we are going to start with is not the Garden of Eden. We are going to start with the story of the flood, of Noah and the ark. We know this story, don't we? Mostly. I suspect that there are a few things in this story that you may not have noticed before, and so I want to point them out to you. And there are a few things about this story that aren't super obvious in English, and that's what you've called me to do, so I'm going to point those out to you too. I love to teach. It runs in my family. If I weren't your pastor, I'd probably be teaching somewhere. You know I love the Hebrew words. And I know that you are a people who are hungry to learn and understand. You are not people who want to have the same old message spoon-fed to you week after week. So let's get some forks and dig in. Since this is a well-known story, I'm going to read a few verses and then talk about them and read a little more and talk about it instead of reading one big chunk this morning, and frankly, I'm going to skip some stuff. Now, after the proclamation of the word, after we read the Bible, we usually say, this is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. This fall, I want to try something different. We're trying all kinds of different stuff, right? I learned recently that after the Torah is read in Jewish synagogues, the people respond from strength to strength, may we be strengthened, which I think is lovely. So we're going to try it for a little while. I will say, from strength to strength, and you will respond with, may we be strengthened. And then we will still say, thanks be to God, because that honors our Christian tradition. Okay? All right. So let's look at the first section of this story. This is from the book of Genesis, chapter 6. If you grab those Bibles in front of you, it's on page 9. We're going to start in verse 5. So page 9, verse 5, if you're getting your Bibles out. Why use a Bible when it's already up there on the screen? Frankly, because I'd like for you to get used to the feel of a book in your hand. You are much more likely to pick it up at home if you're used to looking at it in a book. If you're an app user, that's fine too. I'm kind of old-fashioned. But... Okay. So this is Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, because the Bible loves some exaggeration. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. 
So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I will say at this time, Noah also had a wife, and all the boys had wives too. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I surely am going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Here's how you build an ark. We'll skip those verses. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant. First time we ever hear that word. I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. Then some verses about bring your family and a lot of animals and a lot of food for everyone. And then the end, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. From strength to strength, may we be strengthened. Thanks be to God. So I want you to see this morning what the humans were doing, how God felt about it, and what God did. The humans are doing wickedness which is the same word for evil in the garden story where the first humans eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The people are doing wickedness, violence, and corruption. That word corruption shows up in other places except that most often the English word they use is not corruption but destruction. So just put that in your brain pocket for a minute. Every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. Evil, wickedness, violence, corruption, destruction, that's what the humans are up to. Which is often how I feel when I read the news today. On our own, we often are very good people. In society, we often screw things up real bad. And how does God feel about this? Verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Humans are doing evil, wickedness, violence, corruption, and destruction. And how does God feel? Regretful. Sorry. Hurt. Pained. Grieved. Not angry. Hear this very clearly. God was not angry. Instead, God feels sadness, grief, pain, and regret. The evil that we choose to do breaks God's heart and grieves God. Did you know that every inhabited continent has a flood story? But the gods in the other stories send the flood because they are angry. Or because they're annoyed because the humans are too loud and breeding too fast. The ancient Hebrews wanted to teach that their God was not like that. God was 
hoping that the creatures made in God's image would choose to mimic God's goodness, but instead we choose evil, and God was devastated. So what does God do? Humans choose evil, violence, and destruction. God is devastated, and God chooses to do destruction. There's no getting around that. That's what the story says. This is a highly disturbing story. But now, that thing earlier that you put in your brain pocket, pull it back out. Because the word in verses 11 and 12 for what the humans were doing, which was corruption, that's the same word in verse 14 for what God chooses to do, which is destruction. In English, we don't see that. In Hebrew, it's the same word. Corruption and destruction are the same thing. Humans are destroying the world, and so God chooses to destroy the world. In this case, God dishes back what humans are already doing. Or we might say that God allows the choices of humanity to run their full course without any providential interruption or protection from God. You may have heard the saying that we aren't punished for our sins, we're punished by our sins. You heard that before? Often in the Bible, God's wrath or God's justice is simply God giving us what we're already acting like we want. Destruction. Although, yes, in this case, it's the nuclear option. God fights fire with fire. Ironically, it's water, but you know what I mean, right? God allows the full force of consequences of our actions to be played out all over the earth and its utter destruction. So let's return to the text. This is chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So it's coming up from below and down from above and every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground, the Hebrew is the creeping things that creep along the ground, and the birds were wiped from the earth and only Noah and those with him in the ark were left. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days, so five months in a boat with nothing else. And here's the beginning of chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. From strength to strength, May we be strengthened. Thanks be to God. Even when God takes the nuclear option, it is never total destruction. God refrained from total destruction by keeping a remnant, a small group of humans and animals as a seed of promise for a new world. God made a way for them to stay safe and to survive during this time really of uncreation. If you remember, the creation story starts with water. And this is a reminder to us that our 
actions have consequences, not just individually, societally. The evil that the humans chose then affected the animals and the plants just like our evil does now. It is the season of creation. Everything in our world is connected. And sometimes the consequences of evil are long-lasting. The rain came down for 40 days, more than a month of solid rain. And then it was flooded for another 150 days. But the God who creates and loves the world was still around, and the word tells us God remembered Noah and the animals. Even as we suffer the consequences of our choices, God does not forget us. God is a good creator who is always seeking an opportunity to create something new. You know how the next part of the story goes. God sends a wind to dry up the water, the same word that we get in Genesis 1 for the spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, the spirit, the breath, the wind. Even after the boat landed on the mountain, Noah and his family still have to wait for the waters to go down and the world to dry out before they could leave the ark. And finally, when they emerged from the consequences of human actions and found a new world waiting for them, Noah built an altar and worshipped God. So we're going to read a little bit more in chapter 8, verse 21 and 22. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice of the worship, and said, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And I will never again destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. We're going to jump to chapter 9, verse 11. I will establish my covenant with you. Here's the first one. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. From strength to strength, may we be strengthened. Thanks be to God. What blows my mind about this story is that God tried something and it didn't work. Before the flood, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, and so God destroyed creation. After the flood, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart is only evil all the time, and so God promises never again to destroy creation. This is a story about God fighting fire with fire. God answers violence with violence, and it doesn't work. God answers violence with violence, and it doesn't work. That blows my mind. And the first covenant God makes is with all of creation, not just with people, but animals and plants, the land and the water. And the covenant, the promise that God makes to us is that no matter how bad things ever get, God will never again answer our violence with destructive divine violence. 
because it doesn't work. I'm totally blown away by this. Now, like we said a few weeks ago, when talking about justice and mercy, this does not mean that whatever we do is fine. Our corruption and evil and violence are still wrong. They still have consequences. They still break God's heart. And God still has to find a way to deal with that. And the rest of the story of the Bible is about how God makes a plan and carries it out to destroy evil with without destroying the people who do the evil. And that's what the sign of the rainbow means. And here is the place where Christians see a hint of what's coming with Jesus. Because after the flood, God chooses to respond to evil with covenant love, both in this story and all the ones that come after it. God knows that we are still going to choose destruction. But by promising to never again destroy us, God chooses to suffer the pain and the grief that our evil causes to God. The rainbow is like bow, like a bow and arrow. And so, in fact, if you were to fire an arrow from the rainbow that hangs in the sky, what direction would it go? It would go up. The arrow would hit God and not us. From this point forward, and the sign is that God chooses to absorb our violence. And while we know that the original authors of this story had no idea who Jesus would be, Christians can see the beginning of the Jesus story right here. Because thousands of years later, when we still choose violence, God chooses to finally conquer evil in the body of Jesus. Jesus absorbs our violence. The life of Jesus shows us what it looks like to only ever choose good and not evil. And the death of Jesus demonstrates God's total commitment to absorb our violence. And the resurrection of Jesus points to an end to our fear of death. And not being afraid of death is what enables us to choose good regardless of what might happen to us. When we see a rainbow, we will not fearfully remember destruction. When we see a rainbow, we joyfully anticipate sacrificial love. Amen. As Brian comes back to the piano, I'm conscious of the fact that that was a lot of content this morning. But perhaps on this September 11th, as followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded that even God cannot fix violence with violence. So I invite you into a few moments of reflection this morning. Would you pay attention to how your body feels? You might want to put your feet flat or close your eyes so that you're not distracted. Notice if you're twisted up or your shoulders are hunched. Let your shoulders come down, unclench your jaw. 
God is still speaking, and this is a time to listen. We all hear from God differently. All ways are equally valid and sacred. So would you open yourself to the voice of the Spirit this morning, what God is saying to you about what you have heard. say a closing prayer. God of promise, you set a bow in the sky to remind us that you will never again forsake your creation. Make us ever mindful of your promise so that we may honor our covenant with you. Amen.